Hey y'all, this is Benny, the host of the Last Week at Podcast. Before we really get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say that it's been great fun for me and my co-host Mayank to use this podcast as a medium to chat with an incredible area of guests from all over the world on a variety of topics in the cricketing universe. For a couple of amateur podcasters, this is all possible due to Spotify for podcasters. And if you want to get in on this as well, here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. As added features, video podcasts are also now available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. So if you have an idea for a podcast, give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started. Welcome to The Last Wicked. I'm your host, Benny, and thank you for tuning in. Folks, this week, me and co-host Mike were joined by musician and sentimental cricket fan, in his own words, Asad Hasnain, a.k.a. at Left Arm Around on Twitter. We had Asad on to talk about Pakistan legend Wasim Akram's book, Sultan. We discussed if the book has had any impact on Akram's legacy and Pakistan cricket, the revelations from it, both surprising and unsurprising, what the dynamics between Akram and his contemporaries tells us about the challenges that the Pakistani team of that era had to overcome, both internal and external. All that and more in the conversation coming up. All right, Asad, um, I, I do need to say, before we get into the discussion of um, Wasim's book, um, when I started following cricket in the late 90s, as an Indian cricket fan, by default, Sachin Tendulkar was my favorite cricketer. It's, it's like if you're an Indian cricket fan in the late 90s, early 2000s, if Sachin is not one of your favorite cricketers, you're doing something wrong. At least that's what I always assumed. But outside of Indian cricketers, my three favorite non-Indian cricketers uh, were Wasim Akram, Steve Waugh, and John T. Rhodes. Because the three of them, to me, in different ways, they signified the best of what they did. You know, Wasim Akram's bowling, Steve was batting and leadership, and Jaunty's fielding. Like, for me, that was, like, between those cricketers and such. And, like, it was just great being, like, a new cricket fan, and I, I just couldn't get enough. So when I heard that, my first impression when I heard that Wasim Akram was coming with the book, I was like, okay, it's probably going to be sanitized because we live in this age where everything is dissected and analyzed and so probably can't share too much. And I still haven't read the book, uh, full disclosure, but from the snippets that I have come across and from what I've heard, uh, he's been very, very honest and it doesn't look like he's held back, you know, what, whether it be his own addiction to cocaine or his views on his fellow teammates uh, like Rabiz Raja. Um, he seems to have been very honest in his book. And so I just wanted to get like kind of like your broad, I know you have read the book, Mike has read the book. So I want to just kind of start with you and just ask, like, what were your thoughts when you read the book, when you were starting to read the book, what struck you about it? So I think uh, the first so I think the first thing that you see is Gideon Haig is writing the book. So you go in with very high expectations. So I was, I think the first, the first impression was I was a little underwhelmed by the book, but then when I sort of toned down my expectations and started to sort of just read through the whole thing and just try to appreciate the content that was in there, it's very, it's, it is very entertaining. So that's, that's what you take away from the book. Now, uh, Wasim Akram, as he's aged, has sort of like, if you, if you follow him on media, he's, he's becoming crankier with age. 
and he's the filter that you talk about with like like almost all excretors these days yeah <laughs> like he especially so he's probably crankier than most pakistani cricketers and like mm-hmm. of course he's got a terrific sense of humor so that sort of balances out in some cases but he is someone who gets very very defensive he gets very angry when people call him out on twitter and that is part of the backdrop of why this book was written is because like he's trying to tell his story to the new generation of people that are that are uh, out there so it would have been amazing if he had really like the 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 stories of match fixing i think i we weren't expecting that he would like really have like a mind blowing revelation so that was not surprising but uh, mm-hmm. the sort of pot shots at other cricketers that's also not surprising that happens in pakistani books uh so he's done a bit of that he probably done it less than what i thought he would do uh but it is revealing how toxic the dressing room was uh, back in the day and that for me was the most fascinating thing about the book was he starts out with the imran era and i don't want to jump into like the, the the future questions but like he jumps into the imran era when the dressing room is a little bit more stable that the culture is probably it's all imran and like everything around him it's basically very it's there's a discipline there but then as imran leaves jabe takes over and then you see the the you see the wheel start to fall off and then jabe leaves after that he takes over and that slow descent uh, the story is yeah. sort of like it's unveiling that's the most fascinating thing about this is as a 90s fan we lived through that so this is kind of like a reminder of all those really shitty times that there was like complete anarchy and, and that's what he's sort of revealing how bad it was in in the in the in the dressing room at the time do you think um that given all of the revelations or his own honest takes on stuff do you think that affects the way pakistani cricket fans look at him now does that has that changed or affected the perception of wasim akram in any way after the book you mean or in general right his... after the book came out I don't think this book has been read as much or has had that big of an impact in Pakistan to be honest like in general book readership is not that crazy it's only probably right. the die hards from like the 90s who are like obsessed with Wasim Akram are the first ones who are going to read this so I wouldn't expect a book to make that big of a dent I think he's on the media a lot he's on like the ATV these days he's been like a coach as well uh so he's out there his impression is But he is, is that but you, you know when he was promoting the book you know there were all these snippets uh that were being shared like the cocaine addiction for instance or even his mm-hmm. own personal life like you know his marriage and stuff like that so that you're saying did not really change anything uh i have not heard anything drastic like i think it was something that people were, took notice at the time but then sort of it just got lost The thing is Wasim Akram is not really like a like like this is not 20 years ago right this is this is he is he is now a media person most of the new generation I did not see him in action like if this book had come out like when he had retired I feel like it would have had a much huger impact now it's like sure. he's sure. he's he's an ex he's known as an ex cricketer now those those butterflies are not there anymore when it comes to Wasim Akram so that's why i feel he doesn't make yeah. the news as much as he would have like back then mike do you, do you think that if let, let's say a sachin tendulkar or rahul dravid uh you know if they wrote a book and some of these revelations if they had expressed the same do you think that would have been kind of like also ignored or do you think that it would have been different in india that's it's a tough one honestly uh so i would so sachin tendulkar does have an autobiography um remember it was written uh, ghost written by boria majumdar of all people the great um, boria yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's a very very ordinary book i have it i, I actually remember. have it yeah. signed with sachin himself and all of that and i did not finish <laughs> that's one cricket book that i did not finish because i was actually bored <laughs> so in that aspect probably not because i feel like a lot of the younger generation wouldn't even read it it was not a great book at all um yeah I think the other aspect of it is they are all very clean. I've read Vivian Lakshman's book, for example. Um, they always like he always painted a picture of you know we always thought of the team first and blah blah blah. And occasionally it shows that yeah he did think of himself as well, which is fine. Like I get that, but 
I didn't get that feeling with Wasim Akram's book. And and I guess to be fair to Asad, like he's 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 probably read a lot more Pakistani cricketers and their insights than I have. Um, so in that aspect, I felt like this book had a lot more revealing than some of the books that I've read from Indian cricket perspective. Yeah, I, it, it is more revealing, definitely. I do agree with you that he, he it is more revealing than those types of books. Yeah. Uh, I I felt like what was lacking in so honestly, like part of the problem is like we've followed this story so closely the uh, part a lot of it is just regurgitating old cricket matches which is which is maddening like don't tell me about the cricket matches because i know them i live them with you in some ways right so i what's missing in this book is like a lot of the insecurities or like he doesn't talk a lot about the emotions uh, at least to my mind and that's what i would have loved to have understood like hey tell me about when you were bowling to Sachin Tendulkar in Chennai. What were you feeling? What was that? Right. You can't, You couldn't get past his outside edge or you, you couldn't beat him at that time. Uh, tell me about the Sahara Cup when you actually got him out. Like, tell me about those plans. Like, that's what I would have wanted to get into the mind of the man or like the insecurities of the man. Like, he may touched on it a little bit, but like, most of this is about, okay, I was wronged over there. There's a lot of mention of money in there in the book as well. That's the other thing that strikes yeah. you about this book is he remembers dollar and pound amounts to the exact P. That's true. And it, it's kind of like sprinkled all over watches, Ferraris, like shit like that. And you're like, you can tell that there's a certain love for money. He can't even hide it in a in a, in, in in a book like this. That for me, that was a big takeaway. Was okay. This guy does like his money. Uh, he does like this sort of glitzy stuff, and and it's it's you know your point is very true because because of the fact that he's written it two decades after almost two decades after he retired, um, there were definitely bits when he was like, oh yeah, I turned up for Lancashire and took four wickets and uh, troubled X Y Z, and I'm like, yeah, I I mean, I do. Why do I care about this now? Like, you know, if it was one year after, I would have been like, oh yeah, I remember that game and. Um, oh yeah, that spell was great, but he, he doesn't go into as much detail, and it's probably also because he probably doesn't remember as many details two two decades oh, down or yeah. two and a half decades down. Um, but yeah. yeah, I agree. Um, the other thing which I found interesting was, uh, to your point, Gideon Haig obviously you know wrote the book with him, but it doesn't feel like he's like he's in the background. It doesn't feel like it is Gideon Haig's book. It very much feels yeah. like Wasim Akram's book, which is actually a good thing in my mind. Like it, uh, you know, it felt pretty natural. I could see some of the things that were written. Like I, I could hear yeah. Wasim Akram say that. Um, so I don't know if you yeah. if you agree with that assessment. No, no, I do. I do agree with it. Um, I would have when I saw Gideon's name. I was like, okay, this. If if he had done some more analysis, that would have been more fun. I don't know how that would have gone, but yeah, it, it is. It is definitely. It is his story. It is unfiltered his story. So, like, I, I felt like the most, for me, the most enjoyable parts of the book were before he actually became a regular in the international team. Like that journey is really well detailed and it's fascinating. Uh, yeah. I mean, you've we've heard snippets of this in the past, but when you when you hear how he was a tape ball fast bowler and then uh, uh, somebody one of the I don't know if it was a Pakistani cricketer or someone who was like playing domestic cricket. He saw him and he told him, why don't you switch to hardball cricket? And that is really fascinating because that's how a lot of people in Pakistan sort of pick up the cricket ball the first time is somebody will just walk by, see some talent because everybody has an eye for pace bowling in Pakistan. And they have, okay. they all want their new paces to sort of take up the, the and join international cricket. So that was fascinating to me. And then he, he, he sort of, the he's, he didn't do a great job of detailing. Actually, one of the things that was nice was like he talks about his first foreign tour and he asked Javed Miyadad, like, what do I need? And Miyadad kids with him, you need you need like 100,000 rupees. So there's also an innocence there which he's captured. Yeah. It's, it's a hodgepodge, but there are some of these stories which are quite which are quite fascinating. Yeah, and, and I think it's a good time to get into some of the anecdotes. And I know you talked about the first tour. Uh, in his first ODI, uh, he's bowling the final over, defending, I think, 24 or 25 runs, something like that. And the captain, Zaheer Abbas, tells him, bowl a Yorker. And he has no idea what that means. Um, 
and he's too afraid to ask. He ends up just bowling regular length and Pakistan scraped through, but just by five runs. And he went from there and even in the beginning of the book, he himself calls calls himself Pendu or a villager. And so he's gone from there to, you know, the personality that he is uh, really tells you, you know, fascinating journey that he's been on and how he's sort of refined um, himself. But any other anecdotes that, that stood out to you? Um, in terms of being just, you know, either shocking or um, just surprising? I mean, there's, a, there, there's, I think the first meeting with Imran is really, really interesting. Like he, I think he performed in New Zealand and the way he's described the buildup and then somebody standing at the door, it's Imran and he's got this deep voice and he says, you bowl really well in, in, in against New Zealand. Like that, that that uh, anecdote was interesting to me. was was fascinating to me. Like the, just the for me, what was interesting was how he, Imran took him under his wing. Like just he, he detailed that out, and he looked up to Imran like a god. And 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 it, it, it you could now get to see his side of the story, what he felt like. He's doing the exact same practices as as Imran, and then he he was what, what I found what, what I was looking at today was he he there were games in which he couldn't swing the ball. And then Imran saw that he was getting frustrated, and then he would he started getting into practice with the old ball. Like that's the sort of anecdote that I wanted to hear, like how right. he became the fast bowler that he was. Like Imran uh, told him about fast bowling muscles that you need to start building this this out and that out. So that was from a development standpoint that that was interesting to read about. Uh, so I think about that Kevin Peterson biography, right? One of the stories that st- stood out was how he reached out to Dravid and there was this excerpt, right. it was email that he shared yeah, about yeah. spin bowling. Spin bowling like, yeah. I feel like this, this, this uh, book could have used a little bit more of that, uh, those type of anecdotes as well. Um, but what else stood out? I think um, he talks about, with a lot of distaste, he talks about uh, Ramiz Raja. Uh, he talks about <laughs> Salim Malik with a lot of distaste uh, and he talks about how it does show you the toxicity of the culture at the time when he, even at that time when Imran was still there, these characters were still festering under the surface. So that was interesting to read about. And like Ramiz is interesting because when he, he mentions that Ramiz was at the time renowned as the biggest talent of Lahore. Uh, and coming from Hitchison, you can tell that, you know, coming from a higher class sort of background and Vaseem is coming from like, as he calls himself, a Pindu background. So you can almost sense there that they have this this long sort of rivalry at the time. And Ramiz was some sort of competitor to Vaseem at the time. It was only with the passage of time we figured out who was a talented one and who wasn't. But like just seeing those early sort of uh, stories. He also mentions like nightclubs that uh, Salim Malik, he was sharing a room with Salim Malik and he was, uh, he right. was not, uh, he was saying you shouldn't go to a nightclub. And then he went there. Basim Akram has always been very social. That's the other thing you get from this book, right? He's he's been he's good with women. He, he he's, he's he's pretty social. He's pretty out there. So he's sort of bragging about that a little bit in his book as well. Um, and um, I felt like that the stories that stood out to me were the most emotive ones. Were actually the ones where he talked about his first wife, his first wife's passing. Uh, he talks about the toll i mean he was deeply addicted to cocaine at the time right and uh, how he had to emerge from that addiction to take care of his kids and how he had to move to karachi and he had no idea how to raise his kids and like that part especially the stage of crime in life i think that one resonated very deeply with me uh, just to see a single parent struggles with raising their kid cricket aside that was something that was very interesting um and pretty powerful Right. It it provided sort of a human touch to, you know, Wasim Akram, yeah. the, the god on the field t- type of thing. Because it, when we when he talks about cricket, there's a lot of, I wasn't feeling 100%. I took, I still took four for 20, whatever, you know, yeah. there's a lot of that. And I, so I, the only other Pakistani autobiography I've read is Shoy Bakhtar's. And that was, that was terrible. That had a lot more bragging. That had a lot more like, I am this and that and and on and on. So in, in that aspect, yeah. I enjoyed this book a lot more. Um, but you're right. There were definitely a sense of, you know, I have achieved this and that. 
Um, and one thing that comes to mind, and you've you've kind of touched on it, was how terrible the atmosphere was within the uh, within the you know dressing room, especially after Imran left. Um, so one anecdote that comes to mind is prior to the 2003 World Cup, uh, the PCB chief was this general appointed by Pervez Musharraf, and he started uh, his speech before the first game saying, "Good luck for your game." blah, blah, blah. And in the end said, if you don't win tomorrow, I have proof you're match fixers. And I was like, what, how is this happening? Like, how is professional cricket working like that? I get it. It was 20 years ago. It was, you know, it was a while back, but that was shocking. But what was worse was some ex-players, including the likes of Javed Niandad, used to think like that as well when they were coaches. Um, so in that horrible environment, the fact that Pakistan still had a decent amount of success like just, just shocks me. Um, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Was that just you know just the sheer amount of talent that was out there um, that yeah. was carrying the team through? I think when you look at decent amount of success, it's a very subjective sort of like, uh, it's a very subjective take in some ways, right? Everybody has a different perception of success. If, we, if I look back at the 90s, I would call it a massively underachieving side. Because they lost test series. I mean, they lost a series to Zimbabwe for crying out loud. They, like they, <laughs> they, they, we lost a lot of home series at the time. We lost to South Africa. Like, I don't know, maybe two with New Zealand. But there was a, even at home, we weren't doing that. We weren't that stable. The thing was with Pakistan cricket at the time, and it probably still is the case. When they were good, they were spectacular. But that those phases came in very short bursts. They, that team was like outreach more talented than all the other teams at the time like uh, you can you can talk about the the 2000s australia that came around but in the 90s west indies was uh, declining australia uh, was sort of just mcgrain warned were not what they what they became later and we still didn't have the sort of amazing record which we should have had at the time so it's a very it was a very underachieving team and these are the reasons why they were underachieving if you look at the culture of the team and you hear the stories about match fixing, that is what contributed to this. So, honestly, I'm not surprised. I, I uh, it's, it's just very, it was very, it was very disappointing in some ways. But what stands out is like when they would get together on the occasional occasion, that's when the magic would happen. I've always been uh, struck by the tag of Mercurial, right? The Pakistan team, uh, they're mercurial performers. They they look like they're in total chaos. And then out of nowhere, everything clicks and they hit this patch where they start winning games, especially this happens in like tournaments and even as recently as the World Cup, uh, the T20 World Cup earlier. So I, I know in recent times, I feel like some Pakistani cricket fans or even observers have pushed back against that, saying there's a method to this madness. But what is your take, given all the... Because this existed even back then, during Wasim Akram's time. Um, given all the toxicity that we've talked about uh, within the team, that they were able to put out these performances or kind of click. What yeah. do you... What, what do you attribute that to? Because it doesn't... First of all, do you think Tag of Mercurial is deserved? Or do you think, it, no, there is some sort of method to the madness i mean the the method that they had was sort of so it pakistan team is very interesting because it could have a very accurate reflection of the society that we are so we as a society are we procrastinators we're sort of uh, there's not a lot of structure and a lot of there's a lot of proper strategic thinking that wasn't the case and i haven't lived in pakistan in a while so i don't want to speak to what it's right now but like at least back in the day, there's there's not a lot of structure, a lot of like planning, thinking that goes in, and there's not a lot of discipline, and that problem did used to exist, has it probably still exists in Pakistan. So Imran was able to bring that discipline, and that <clears throat> success that we saw back in the late 80s, which culminated in the 1992 World Cup, was a product of that discipline. But when Imran left. It's like when you have dictators leave in, in countries, there's always generally anarchy. And it's the same thing that sort of happened with Pakistan as well. It's like there, there's no real structure. There's like a vacuum time. and others try to fill it. And there's always this conflicts mm -hmm. and like, I need, you know, trying to yeah. push ahead of each other. Yeah. 
Yeah. So from that perspective, uh, the nineties is a lot about a team struggling to find its identity post Imran. Uh, and there's different, they tried out a lot of captains, a lot of them who wanted to be like Imran. They wanted to have all the power. Uh, you can see with Basim as well. Like when he talks about the, his captaincy, he was like, I want to be like Imran. I want to be, I want to enforce discipline, but not quite having the charisma uh, or, or sort of man management capabilities that Imran had. Basim actually built, became a very good man manager by, by his third or fourth stint. So credit to him, he became better at that. But coming back to Pakistan, right? So the 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 uh, the performances don't surprise me because like there was a lot of insane talent there like someone like a shreya bakhtar or a seem or a car and they were all com- a lot of them were competing against each other like that's the other thing you see in this book like Vaseem and Vakar are like competing against each other and they've got a whole lineup of fast bowlers breathing down their necks so they ha- kind of had to perform and what you take away from that is that pakistani cricketers when their ass was on the line the performances would go up like that was something because they were so outrageously talented that they could just pull out that magical performance out of their hat. But because there was no consistency in the time, in, in terms of managing them, there was no, uh, like maybe like a John Buchanan over Australia, right? Australia is a different beast altogether, but like people give Buchanan a lot of shit, but generally the Australian team was very disciplined and they were able to consistently get a high standard of performances. He gets some of the credit for that as well. Pakistan didn't have that sort of structure, which is what the reason behind the unpredictable performances. I, I do want to get into, you know, more about Wasim Akram, the bowler himself, but uh, I, I want to touch on one aspect that you mentioned, you know, that a lot of these really talented players were competing against each other. And, you know, one such couple, one such, uh, two such players were um, uh, Wasim and Wakar themselves. And it's interesting because in the book, he feels like he's the one who spotted Wakar and he like suggests the name to the, to the captains and the leadership. And then Wakar gets picked and does well. And then in the end, they start competing against each other. And for some reason, I always grew up thinking, man, if you're playing against Pakistan, the two W's are such a terror and man, what a combination. But there's no sense of like camaraderie there's nothing between them which yeah. i found extremely shocking especially because in recent times as well like you mentioned he's Vasim akram is in media he's just doing shows and stuff and i've seen them on a show together and they seem like they were perfectly fine but it doesn't seem like they had any camaraderie whatsoever back in the 90s the thing about Vasim and wakar is they have a classic love-hate relationship and if you talk to people <laughs> who are close to them that's what you hear as well is like Wasim Akram thinks very lowly of Vakar's man management capabilities, of Vakar's general intelligence. Uh, like Wasim Akram does not have a great opinion of that. But because they've been together for like, I don't know, 30 years and they're like, it's it's like you, you're kind of like a family in some ways as well, right? So they get along. They also have this sort of Punjabi humor about them as well. So like they, 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 that banter is there. They have all of these stories. Obviously, they both know that you know, game recognizes game. So they both know that the other person was spectacularly awesome back in the day. So it, there's there's a lot of different things there. There's a lot of rival. There was a lot of rebellions that Wakar led against Wasim and Wasim sort of also instigated against Wakar. So their relationship is classic, classic love. It. <laughs> Can I uh, also very quickly add that, you know, again, with my limited knowledge of the internal dynamics of Pakistan cricket, you know, back when Wasim and Wakar were playing together, um, it all that kind of struck me too, like what Mike said. And I always felt like this would make a great story someday. Like, has there been any movies or TV shows based on these two, or just in cricket in general? Is there like any shows or movies on cricket in Pakistan? In Pakistan, there were actually there was a movie called Mehu Shahid Afridi. Uh, huh. which was a pretty big hit actually a very entertaining movie so def- but that's not like uh, it doesn't it doesn't have a story of old pakistani okay. cricket matches uh, okay. so mehu shahid afidi definitely it's just like uh, a young kid who's like sort of uh, i think it's about a young kid who's trying to get uh, popular trying to get into the sort of national team or something and then there's it's i think it was a groundbreaking movie in terms of how they captured cricket matches they were trying to build, they were trying to make a Shreya Bakhtar movie, 
recently, but he backed out. So that movie, I don't think, is getting anywhere. Uh, I think they were trying to make a movie on Imran Kaptan, but I, I don't think that's gone anywhere. Uh, I've heard stories about the 92 World Cup, but so you have to understand, Pakistan movie industry is sort of just starting to sort of, like the wheels are now finally in motion. Like there's some really yeah. good movies that have come out, like Joyland and Mola Jat and stuff like that. So production standards are going up. The expectations are going up. So you'll, you'll probably see cricket is too central for it not to become a story. I was going to say, you have saying. so many personalities that you can make entire movies out of each one of them. Yeah. So it's like a I great it'll opportunity. Be around, it'll be probably around one of the, wor- uh, the World Cups or something like that. I think that's probably, they'll, they'll look at what India has done and then they'll probably make something yeah. similar to that. That's probably the way I sense it'll go. Um, yeah 1992 <laughs> yeah yeah and i mean i think the the other aspect there is like if you try to make a movie about indian cricketers in the 90s uh, they're not you know they're not standout characters like dravid and Gang- uh, ganguly to some extent is but dravid is yeah probably like you know dravid lakshman kumble even sachin for the most part are very non-controversial and, you know, there's not much that comes out of it. But yeah. like we, just before you joined, actually, Benny and I were discussing watching the Steve Smith bat and how he's, he goes this every time he gets beaten. Like and it's, it's so yeah. annoying <laughs> and it's so funny. But it's just like it's, you know, it's an antic that it's built into him and he can't turn it off. Um, so there's like something that you can, you know, that that is when you can really tell a good story, when you have a person who already has that character. And yeah. I feel like Pakistan cricket has provided a lot of those characters. So I mean, think about, for that. think about just like the Ben Stokes documentary or even like the Australian test teams, uh, quote unquote documentary. Uh, they make st- stories or a narrative out of what they have, whereas a team like Pakistan with its players have so much more potential for those kind of stories or documentaries. So I feel like that's like a treasure trove just waiting uh, to be kind of shown to the world. I mean, I, I, whenever I think about writing a screenplay, like the story I always fascinated by is Mohammed Yusuf's story. Like Mohammed Yusuf who was formerly Yusuf Yohana living on like yeah. a one room flat by a railway station uh, very humble beginnings. I think he was a sweeper, and then he sort of his his whole goal was somehow to get a get into a bank team, like one of the first class teams. That was the extent of his ambition. That if I get that, I'm set for life. Like these, uh, he came. Th- there are a lot of these uh, rags to riches sort of, sort of stories, which would make for amazing. But see, Makram doesn't have that rags to riches story. Uh, no. But uh, his story is fascinating in another, in other ways. But there are some stories which are like completely blow your mind in terms of the unlikeliness of how it happened. Yeah, I, 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 we talked about this a while ago that cricket in general doesn't have too many good movies or shows um, compared to like other sports, like especially in the U.S. You know, you look at all these documentaries on ESPN and, you know, they made such a good documentary on uh, Tom Brady recently we all know the Michael Jordan one on Netflix where you get into the psyche and where they're very honest about themselves and others also give their honest takes. Whereas in cricket, I feel a lot of the times people are be, they be very, they're very generous where I feel like they never express their true feelings. Like, yeah, so-and-so was a great player, great person, kind, whatever. And then that's it. You, but you don't get the sense that they're, they're kind of holding back. And I feel like cricket in general, which is why it, it fascinates me when someone like Wasim Akram, especially the, given the cultural context where I feel like in, a, in the subcontinent, people kind of hold back from revealing a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Even the little that he has been honest about, um, yeah. that is refreshing to see. And I wish there were more you know, books, shows, movies that... And it's not just for us, the public, for other cricketers too, to see, hey, this person that I idolize so much, who is the reason for wh- why I'm playing the game, he went through this too. Uh, but they don't yeah. get to see that. They only see the sanitized version, you know, the books and shows where everything is rosy, everybody is great and awesome. Uh, and I wish they were more blunt like they are in Western culture. 
I think that was another very powerful part of this book is when he talked about his cocaine addiction and he talked in in a sportsman's like again these are the, the sporting sort of insights were fascinating he was saying the high that I used to get from sports I was trying to find an equivalent high in my retirement days which is where his addiction for cocaine was born which was so fascinating and when you talk to and you when you when you so sort of read these interviews with Pakistani cricketers with Vakar and these guys like these come from behind come from behind victories that they had the sort of adrenaline mad rush that they went through like having lived through that for like 20 years and then suddenly you're in this standard life now where you're just picking up your kids from school and like just living a married life like that transition in this book that was really fascinating to see the struggles of a man who is coping with switching from extreme stardom and being the center of attention to sort of like life after cricket i i feel like he stumbled onto something really good in this book uh with yeah. that particular segment i i agree um i i do want to talk about wasim the bowler because i mean there's so much to talk about him as as a bowler and as a you know just a very adaptable bowler too so obviously when he started there's that whole famous quote in 92 where Imran Khan said uh, I just want Wasim to bowl fast and that's all I care about and he ended up being the man of the match in <laughs> the final um obviously as injuries happened he aged um there was diabetes as well so there were a number of reasons why he went from you know being express fast peak of his abilities to uh medium fast and which probably happens with every pro athlete uh and yet his record was solid I was I was looking at his numbers post 1998 and he averaged 28 in his last 27 test in very very solid average uh good strike rate as well in his last 100 plus odis he averaged 25 um so he was a very uh you know smart uh, operator by that point obviously he started off being you know not very educated called himself pain dude didn't understand various things but he wasn't afraid to try shorter run ups try different angles Um so what are your thoughts about that evolution across his you know long 17 18 year old career So I think one of the things about Wasim is he was a naturally you I think one of the things that's good about Pakistani fast bowlers is they are they are like a sponge they're very eager to learn They they they, they I very seldom come across at least in that era fast bowlers who would come in and say we are the finished product already we don't need to learn Like they would come in and they would like talk to fast bowlers around them and try to pick up things from them so Wasim to his credit was also very good he talked to Imran he i think he got insights from watching Malcolm Marshall as well um he tried the shorter run up and then he figured he didn't lose pace because of it and that i think he he, he copied Joel Garner's like the way he would sort of uh, swing it i think there was a slingy action that he adopted at a time which he i think because of injuries he didn't do it later on but he was very sensible with that and and i think because there's not a lot of like rigid coaching in pakistan like the cricketers sort of have to go out there and sort of learn on their own which builds up their intelligence as well so with the seam i think that's probably the case is he he would sort of sort of suck in knowledge from wherever he could as far as the evolution of wasim akram over the years is concerned like the fascinating thing for 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 like fans most fans the most sort of uh, the the most pleasure we get out of wasim akram videos are the ones that were in the later half of his career like the most artistry in his bowling came in like the last sort of 7 8 years like you look at nine, the, the early 90s and a lot of it is about pace and like a lot of it is about it is about swing but when you go to his later half the swing becomes wicked like it becomes late the 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 wrist the the positioning of the wrist he just had that down like what shaheen afridi is doing right now with people are going gaga over wasim akram was doing that at the end of his career as well uh and it, it seemed like he could have probably played another 2 years and still made probably played 3 years and made people's lives miserable um uh, but he was Yeah, it, it was nobody figured him out to the end uh, with Wasim, other than probably Adam Gilchrist, who was very good against him. But even against him, Wasim Bhai had a lot of success. Uh, but yeah, that was a, his, his bowling was a mystery that just didn't quite get fathomed even towards the end. 
And, and what's interesting is that's kind of true of all these champion cricketers. Like, obviously, Wasim Akram was for sure, you know, in a league of his own. But if you think about any international cricketer who's played 15 plus years, there's always been an evolution, whether you look at even somebody like Dhoni, who's a different kind of cricketer, but started as, you know, somebody who's a basher and then evolved his game to take it, <coughs> the last, take it to the last over all the time and became this finisher. Same thing with Sachin, obviously a very aggressive cricketer to start with. His strike rate, even though it wasn't bad for his era, it was very, very solid. But it, it went down a little bit because he realized he had to play according to the to the strength of the team. Um, so there's this sense of evolution, and Wasim really does you know incredibly well in in that aspect as well. Um, which I guess, how do you rate that to other Pakistani bowlers uh, have done over time? Like let's say Vakar Yunus, for example. Uh, I know Imran had his own mastery. He obviously mastered his, even his batting was very solid towards the end of his career. Um, even though his bowling, like the effectiveness tapered off a little bit, you could say. Um, so how do you rate that in terms of other uh, Pakistani bowlers that, you know, had a long career and their adaptability? So I think you have to look at both formats separately. Like test cricket, I feel like was seems the, the end of a seems career uh, I, I think he, he, once the fitness sort of started to go, you look at the last sort of four years, I think he he had that amazing season where he destroyed Sri Lanka and like he did really well in the West Indies. I don't remember any standout performances after that. So he, as his, as his fitness and his pace started to go, I feel like in test cricket, his effectiveness started to wane. But he became a brilliant one-day bowler towards the end of it. And, and his focus shifted to one-day cricket and, like, he's probably playing a lot more of that. So, the, the 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 tricks, the reverse swing just became that much more lethal, that much more late. If you if you look at what he's doing in some of these series in Morocco and stuff that I remember, like the, the reverse swing was just unreal. If you look at these clips that were circulating in a game against New Zealand in which he... And, and he was injured in that. But like the, the 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 level of reverse swing that's happening, I think he the the reverse swing, he actually became better and better as he went on. Like that's the biggest evolution in Wasim Akram's game was that even though he lost pace, that reverse swing was just became more and more lethal with time. Uh, if you compare him to like Vakar, now Vakar was nowhere near as talented as Wasim. Vakar Vakar was very pace reliant at the start of his career. Now, to his credit, he tried a lot. He he came back, he developed an outswinger, he tried to remodel himself into a fast medium bowler. He was, he had some cleverness to him as well, but not in the same league as Wasim. So for me, it was quite painful to watch Fakar after like 98 or 99. Like he, he came back as a medium pass bowler. I was like, I don't, this is not the version of Akar units that I want to watch. With Wasim, that was not the case because the pace was never the thing about him. Uh, the tricks and the magic was the thing about him. Vakar didn't quite have that magic. With him, it was, I am devastating and I'm going to like destroy this tail in like five overs. Once that went away, Vakar was never quite the same. And like the other fast bowlers that come to mind, like Shwe Bakhtar, uh, he was also all, a lot about pace. So once his pace started to go away, he was quite intelligent as well. He became more intelligent. A lot of these fast bowlers did become more intelligent with time. So Shweb Akhtar, especially in white ball cricket, even in test cricket, he has a staggering record, by the way, like averages around like 22 and 23. So his his injuries were so overwhelming that we could never quite see the best out of him. Um, yeah. I remember the, the 2003 World Cup game between India and Pakistan. Now everybody remembers that for Sachin's uh, knock. But, I mean, that Pakistani lineup had Wasim Akram, Wakar Yunus, and Shoaib Akhtar. And I, I really wish, you know, as a fan myself, I had got to see all three of them in their prime. That would have been a terrific sight because I don't believe, unless other, unless you would argue otherwise, I don't think the three of them played together at their peak. Right? No, 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 not at all. Yeah, I mean, Shweb Akhtar, when Shweb Akhtar came in, Vakar was already was sort of just on his last leg. Right? Right. Vakar probably had a, had a couple of spells 
after that that were sort of in the but like Bakar was definitely not his peak Wasim was not at the sort of fast bowling peak in terms of pace and like grandeur Wasim was just very clever uh he was at his he was at the peak of his cleverness um right. especially in 99 uh when when Pakistan toured India Wasim and the ball that he had to drop it so yeah kind of depends on how you i think Wasim and Shweb had some memorable performances together still not as much as we would have liked but whenever they played together they were they were quite brilliant and Wasim Vakar Shweb when they played together in Australia in a one day series in 2000 i think India was there as well there's there's this game there's a few games there when all three of them when the pitch had a bit of bite in it even Vakar was like towards the later half of their career Vakar was like very reliant on the pitches like the pitch would have something in it he would become a different bowler uh shweb was just very very fast wasim was just very clever i think in that vb series in australia you probably saw like the best of them together mm. that yeah I, i can't even imagine that you know as a fan i'm thinking you know we talk about the all time uh great bowling attacks and the three of them together that's just like just the potential that you know that um, yeah. just when you imagine it that's like a great side but now on the australia point so it's an interesting point because that is one area where pakistan did not or still haven't won a series uh, and they've not done well in test cricket and and the reason that's important is you know to win test series at the end of the day you need a solid bowling lineup and that's what we saw in the late 90s early 2000s that india struggled to win they might compete because they have good batsmen but they struggled to win abroad but pakistan was winning in england uh, they were competing in south africa so we saw that but australia for some reason was this frontier that they have still not captured and yeah. interestingly i was checking this a while back wasim akram is the only bowler who only pakistani fast bowler who has an incredible record um in australia he averaged i think less than 25 in australia and i think the closest one was probably imran who was at 28 but everybody else including wakar was in the 40s so it really shows you know to to your point about his adaptability his smarts that even when the pitch didn't have something for him he was able to find something maintain the pressure and you know force wickets that way i, I will tell you this like in the 1999 series when pakistan toured australia there if there was there was some shady umpiring that had an impact like we should have at least won one test match in that like the, the hobart test match which is like one of the biggest heartbreaks in is that the in, one with gilchrist and langer yeah 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 so yeah so yeah. that one okay. uh, like that against the ball yes yeah that, that heartbreak sort of so they were unfortunate because they played really well in that series actually like you look at the first test match they they got like 367 runs the fielding has always been the problem like the fielding is the biggest reason why that era's team did not win in australia like at least in that 99 series if they've been taking their catches it would have been a very different ball game um but the the the, the problem still is there like the the pakistani teams have not adapted to australia because like our, especially when they were attacked australia attacks teams like nobody's business like they will tear you apart in a session and they've done that to so many pakistani attacks since these early 90s since these uh, wasim bakar and shweb probably like any any attacks that have gone since have just like uh, they've been lamb for the slaughter um, yeah. and, and uh, and even wasim and wakar wakar had a lot of struggles as well but wakar had one amazing spell in uh, 99 where he got the ball reverse swinging it's the same test match uh, and then he had like i think he had ricky ponting bowled when he was leaving the ball that was probably the only spell that i remember of wakar when he's actually like in his element in in australia apart from that yeah it was rough going i want to you know i, I don't want to end our uh episode today without kind of going back into the whole match fixing saga um and I'll tell you why because uh growing up as a you know cricket fan in the late 90s and the early 2000s match fixing was a big big thing and I'm not just restricting that to uh Pakistan I mean in India we had the whole thing with 
couple of day Manoj Prabhakar and remember Ganguly becoming a captain in this. Uh, I think when uh, Azharuddin uh, was banned and then, so it, it was not just restricted to Pakistan, but for some reason we associate Pakistan cricket and match fixing in, in that era. And that era had all these cricketers, including Wasim Akram. And we know about the um, all the allegations and then the Kayam report uh, when it was published and all the fines were announced. And I know um, Akram has talked about that plenty of times, not just in the book. But, you know, in retrospect, looking back, what do you think about, what do you make of it and Akram's role in it all these years later? Like with like, the firstly, benefit like, of time in hindsight, looking at it. I think just, just to answer one of the other things that you brought up, like the, the problem is not that Pakistan has been, has had more prevalence in match fixing. The problem is that Pakistan has not covered it up as much as other boards have. And this thing was happening <laughs> everywhere. Like yeah. If you look at back at the stories of Mark Waugh and Shane Warne and like, uh, like there's a lot of shady, like they had a story about like they leaked something to like a, uh, bookie about the pitch and they made up yeah. the story about that you look at very recently the mudgal report and like the envelope with all the names of the indian cricketers which were never revealed to the public other countries just do a better job of hiding this stuff compared to pakistan where they are blurting it out to the the, whole, the entire world or they are being so recklessly stupid even like the story in the in the in the UK where Asif and Amir were were caught, I think, was a Pakistani, British Pakistani who sort of brought their downfall. So there's a yeah there's a desire for sensationalism where people are going and they're like they're, they take a lot of pride in revealing these stories to the world. Uh, so Pakistan has suffered because of that a little bit, um, but at least now the cult the, the the team that we have right now is very clean. The culture has improved for the better. So I think we at least have that benefit from it. Coming back to Wasim Akram's role in fixing, and, and in this book, I take everything with a massive pinch of salt, what he's written over there. What the stories that I've heard are very, very different to what he's talking about here. Like he was, he, he's painted himself as a very innocent victim in this book. Uh, I can maybe argue that he was sort of pulled into this. I think I've heard the name of Salim Malik brought in a lot as someone who was a big player, someone who was a very bad influence on some of these cricketers. And uh, it's quite likely that people like him got probably Basim Akram and some of the other guys involved. But everything that I hear about the 90s is there was so much fixing going on that like, if you now look back, I off, sometimes I pull old games and just watch them again just to sort of see, okay, now that I'm a little bit older and wiser, what does this game look like in reality? Because <laughs> at the time, we put it down to a lot of unpredictability. But it was later revealed that it was not actually unpredictable. It was, there, was, there was fixing going on. There were some decisions like winning the toss in South Africa, Salim Malik sort of choosing to bat first in overcast conditions. Actually, no, bowl first and then chasing under lights when they knew the ball would swing. He did it twice. And it, and it was like, at the time, it was baffling. But any of these inexplicable things that we couldn't quite fathom at the time, it turned out there was fixing going on. Um, and these guys were, a lot of them were a part of it. Uh, Shweb Akhtar not, is not a part of it. Ramiz Raja was not a part of it. Shahid Afridi was not a part of it. But a lot of these other guys, they, they have a lot of skeletons in their closet. But uh, but as far as Wasim Akram's role in, in those times, do you wish that he had spoken up more or brought things to attention just because of the stature that he had, because that's my one personal complaint that I've had about Sachin Tendulkar was I wish that he was more vocal during his playing days with regards to any issues in Indian cricket. He always seemed to play it safe and never really got into any issues because he wanted to preserve his image. At least that's what I got. And I wonder if that's anything similar with Wasim. Do you wish that given his status in the game, his status within the Pakistani uh, cricketing environment, do you wish he did anything differently as a leader, as a player, uh, when all these things were flying around? I mean, I, I think if you don't have skeletons in your closet, then then you can be a sort of a flag bearer against corruption, right? If, if you have some sort of, if there's something to hide, then like 
I I don't see people taking that sort of open stance or sort of crusading against fixing like that. That's my take on it. I I think the interesting point though you mentioned is there was a lot of like demand for sensationalism and and the reason this is important is I mean obviously I was very young when the whole thing happened and obviously I was following it. But I do remember, and I have no idea why I remember this, but I do remember a few years later, Justice Kayam um, coming on some sort of interview and and saying, you know, I had a soft spot for Vaseem Akram. He didn't actually say that I had proof that Vaseem Akram had done this. It was more anecdotal. But the fact that there were all these things coming out where he's literally saying he had a soft spot. So hearing all that, my young mind thought, well, that is just, that clearly shows he was he was corrupt and you know so in my mind i had always had that um uh, sort of perspective uh and yeah to your point like they've definitely not covered this in the book at all like they've they've talked about it but they've tried to justify saying oh i had one bad friend who i trusted more than i should have um yeah. and really that's about it like that's what i yeah. you know took away from it what is interesting though is it does seem like it was uh, more of, and I tried to find like a Kayam report copy, trying to read more about that today, uh, and seeing if you know if it made more sense today. But uh, it does seem like there was less uh, substantial proof. But having said that, we've also lived in an era where it's not like we had cell phones all the time to track who's calling who and all that kind of stuff. So it, I guess, yeah, even a if large it, part of it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. A large, a no, lot of what happened was Rashid Datif at the time had this recorder and he sort of recorded a lot of conversations. And then from what I've heard is he had, he had a very close friend in the team, Basit Ali, and he doctored the recordings to sort of save Basit Ali or sort of protect him. And I think that meant the evidence became unreliable. Right. Uh, then there was all shady stuff with Atau Rahman, who uh, who was one of the guys who sort of vouched against Vaseem Akram, and then he sort of took it back. Um, so there's something he's, he's spoken a lot about Atau Rahman in the book as well. Um, I, the, honestly, the way I look at this entire thing now, and the, like there's a struggle in your 30s as well when you sort of, for a long time, I was like, I'm not going to believe these stories. I love Vasim Akram. I'm not going to accept this. I, the whole world can say it. But then you get sort of older and wiser. And now I'm almost thinking, yes, he is a product of the same society that he grew up in, right? So, and in this society, there is corruption. There is that desire to make a quick buck. Um, and, but that doesn't take away from the artistry or the genius of the man. You can... Right recognize that he's got he had frailties as a human being and that's probably what makes him quite fascinating as well in some ways but you can also that doesn't take away from the genius and the artistry of the man one thing is not related to the other like separating the art from the artist is probably the best way to do and you got to do it with even in like hollywood for example all these sort of stars have such troubled stories on the side right if you start if you start judging artists on their on this stuff, then you're not going to be left with a lot to appreciate, unfortunately. <laughs> what do you think is Wasim Akram's legacy going forward? Um, and it's kind of like a two-parter because um, it, what is the legacy of like left-arm fast bowlers or just fast bowlers in Pakistan? So someone like Sh- Shaheen Afridi that you mentioned is he the next big thing, uh, you know, c- kind of along the lines of Wasim Akram? Do you see him as this huge legend that is going to be comparable with Wasim? But also on a broader scale, what do you think uh, Wasim Akram has left to offer to Pakistan cricket? So I think Wasim Akram's legacy obviously is like left-arm fast bowlers who keep turning up like Mohammad Amir and Shaheen Afridi. These are all fast bowlers. Amir especially was obsessed with Wasim Akram. So every... I think that that is still very much, at least has been his legacy for the last, he retired in 2003, so 19 years, like uh, at least a large part of that, the country was obsessed with bowling like Wasim Akram and like, now they are new heroes. So his legacy is sort yeah. of starting to die down a little bit. Now he's just sort of a part of the cricketing folklore in some ways. Do I see these new guys having the sort of intelligence that Wasim Akram did? I don't. Like, Shaheen Afridi, 
I mean, it, it's uh, apples and oranges, right? This is the T20 era. That was like the ODI era. There was reverse swing at the time. That's not the case anymore. Uh, those guys could sort of tamper the ball pretty, pretty openly. Uh, you can't do that in today's world. And that's so. So it's it's not a you can't really compare. In terms of intelligence, I feel like Muhammad Amir is the guy who resembles, for me, a couple of things, actually, in terms of intelligence and in terms of big match ability. Like, Amir is the guy who actually come closest to what, in my mind, arousing the same feelings that Vasim Akram did uh, at his peak. Because the big match uh, yeah. ability, that was unparalleled. Yeah, I, I, I think... Uh... Again, as a neutral, I would say, you know, watching and I, I got to watch him only at the fag end of his career, but watching some of those old clips, too, when he was younger in the early 90s. Yeah, it, it, it's phenomenal what a cricketer he was. And so uh, it's a shame that, you know, a lot of cricket, uh, cricket fans today, the impression that they get is based on him as a commentator or yeah. um, or you know, based on the book and whatever they hear about the book. So, but there was no doubt that he was a phenomenal cricketer for Pakistan, phenomenal cricketer, period. So, uh, but let me ask you both, uh, as uh, someone who have read the book, do you recommend people to go out and buy this book? Is it worth it? Are we going to actually, is it worth going and purchasing the book? And are we, as cricket fans, going to appreciate something or learn something new from it? I think that's a very personal question. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to go first on this one. But I, I yeah, feel yeah. like for anyone who grew up, like, you know, I think the three of us, I, you know, watched a lot of cricket in the late 90s and early 2000s and saw a lot of Asim Akram. So I, I enjoyed it from that aspect, you know, sort of reliving some of those games, like even Sachin's 136. And again, I'm giving the Indian perspective, which is such an iconic innings. Um, the fact that he, you know, single-handedly almost wins the game. In in small bits, he describes some of the things. So he tells the client, hey, why don't you toss one up but bowl it wider and he might hit one up in the air. And that's exactly what ends up happening, even though the client doesn't, you know, exactly deliver the plan, right? Um, so there are those, like those anecdotes which come out and you find them fascinating and it was well worth yeah. your time. Um but if you're 22 and you're a new cricket, uh, you know, you're into cricket now and you're just trying to like learn on history, uh, I don't know if this will be the right fit because then you'll just read about an era which you don't haven't watched too much. You may not have read too much about. It's entertaining. I would say like that what you, what you, if you want to be entertained, this book is not boring. It's, it's, it's not yeah. a work of art by any means, but like you're not going to be bored. It's, 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 you, you, you'll, you'll enjoy. There's, there's uh He's thrown a lot of it in there, and it's um, right. so it, there is a lot of really there's a lot of really wonderful stories. If you're a '90s cricket fan, yeah, you should go and read read the guy's perspective. I think that I'd recommend that, but don't go in there expecting a very insightful book or a very earth-shattering book, but an entertaining book, right. nonetheless. Perfect. I mean, that's all we need, right? We don't want just generic, uh, rehashed stuff in books because we've come across quite a few of those especially in the indian cricketing ecosystem uh so yeah for our listeners uh we will include the links um to wasim akram's book sultan and uh Asad, thank you so much for accepting our invitation and coming on our podcast i do want to let our listeners know that you can follow Asad on twitter at left arm around and i also hear you're a musician uh, so he, he does have a link to his uh, album in Spotify in his Twitter uh, under his Twitter profile as well. So please do check that out. Uh, but once again, Asad, thank you so much, and uh, we hope you will come back again. Pleasure. Thank you so much, guys. Really enjoyed this. Thank you for listening to an episode of The Last Wicked. Do check out other episodes on your podcast app of choice or at thelastwicket.com. This podcast is a Cricket Guys production featuring your hosts, Benny and Mike. And if you enjoyed this podcast, do let a friend know, rate and subscribe on your platform of choice. Follow us on your social media feeds and leave us a voice message if you would like to share your thoughts with us. Thank you again for listening. 
and from all of us here at Last Wicked, stay safe, stay healthy.